Hello and welcome to PW KidsCast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Jennifer E. Smith, whose latest young adult novel is The Geography of You and Me. It's being published in April by the Poppy imprint at Little Brown, which is sponsoring this podcast. Smith's previous books include This Is What Happy Looks Like, The Statistical Probability of Love at First Sight, You Are Here, The Comeback Season, and the middle grade novel The Storm Makers. In her new book, 16-year-old Lucy meets 17-year-old Owen in the elevator of her family's New York City apartment building. They have some time to get to know each other, since they get stuck there during a massive blackout. But not long after power is restored, events conspire to take both teenagers out of New York, and their very new and suddenly long-distance relationship is put to the test. Jennifer, thanks for speaking with me. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. So I feel like one of those questions that writers kind of hate to get is, where do you get your ideas? So while I don't want to ask that exactly, (laughs) you do have a knack for finding these really great romantic hooks for some of your YA books. Do you find yourself having moments where you realize, oh, this is the perfect situation. I have to use this. Yes. I think all my novels sort of start with something, a version of something that happened to me, and then they kind of go spinning off from there fairly quickly. But, you know, in this particular book, I was actually in New York about 10 years ago during the blackout that happened along the whole East Coast. And it it didn't come to me until later that it might be an interesting way to start a novel. I was not in an elevator and there were no cute boys. I was (laughs) in an apartment with many friends and and a lot of wine, Mm -hmm. but it was, you know, it just seemed like one of those kind of moments that felt sort of out of time in a way. And I think it was similar with, you know, this is what happy looks like where my name is Jennifer Smith, which is obviously a very common name. And in the book starts with an email that goes astray. And this happens to me all the time. So again, that seemed like this, this sort of interesting way to, to start, you know, the spark of a connection and, and with statistical probability, it was, it was on an airplane and I, a few years after I had taken a flight from Chicago to Dublin, where I spent the entire flight next to uh, not, this was not, again, romantic. This was an elderly Irishman who was very nice. And we spent most of the time talking about books, but it kind of afterwards, we got separated at customs and it occurred to me that you can spend this this many hours next to somebody and not even know their name. And so I think, I I think these things take a little while to float sort of to the top of my brain and and become realistic ideas that I, I use. But that, you know, I guess I'm kind of always keeping an eye out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with that New York City blackout, did, did you find that, you know, being here for that gave you a real new perspective on the city? Absolutely. It was funny. I actually had just moved to the city. I actually wasn't even living here yet. I, I was the day that it happened, I was looking, a friend and I were looking for apartments and I was just preparing to move here. And so we were staying with friends and we'd just found an apartment we wanted. We were in an ATM vestibule ready to take money out to put down a down payment. And she had taken her money out and I turned around and the machine wasn't working. And I, you know, was sort of trying to figure out what's going on. And we, we looked out the window and all the, the, you know, street lights had gone out and everybody was kind of chaos. So it happened literally as I was moving to the city, which was such an interesting introduction. And it was only two years after September 11th. So I think there were, there was a brief kind of panic that this, you know, something was really wrong. And, and once people figured out that it wasn't, it was just this intense relief. And the whole city took on kind of a celebratory air and, 
it was so much fun. I mean, people were out on the streets. The bars were giving away free beer because the, you know, it was getting warm and the ice cream shops were giving away free ice cream and, you know, people were stepping out to help direct traffic. And it was just this, this really almost magical night in the city. And I spent it with friends and, you know, it got less fun the next morning when it was this very hot summer day. And, you know, we've been without air conditioning for a long time and we spent all our money on wine the night before (laughs) (laughs) and I had to kind of deal with them but it really it's it was it's something that's always been so memorable for me and I feel like in some ways you know I'd spent some time in the city before that but it kind of kicked off my New York experience so Mm. it was fun to write about well it's funny you say that about the uh, sort of morning after because I feel like both blackouts and long distance relationships can be sort of double-edged they both have this real romantic potential but on the other hand they can they can kind of turn disastrous after a certain point um, yeah. was, that, was that on your mind at all as you were writing? Absolutely. I think there's something about sort of, you know, the cold light of day and the spell being broken the next day. And it certainly happens in this book where, um, you know, they they both kind of the next the next day, everything changes. The, the city is different all of a sudden. And um, so I think, yeah, I think that's I think in all my books, there's there's kind of that first spark of meeting. And then there's the reality of the situation after that, which isn't all kind of, you know, on a merry skipping road to happen ever after but but then you kind of um have to do the aftermath you know at one point in the book uh, owen is thinking about uh the idea of the geography of two people you know per the title um especially two people who seem to be going in totally opposite directions um were you also thinking a lot about i guess the relationship between physical distance and emotional distance yeah absolutely i think you know it's the the, the day after so they they meet during the blackout and then um a short time later they both through circumstances with their families end up literally going in opposite directions owen and his father start a road trip to the west coast and lucy and her parents end up moving to the uk so i think you know it's a it's a not very subtle metaphor about the the you know the, i mean that's this is where where the story sort of it takes them there it's physical and it's emotional and i think when you meet under really extreme unusual circumstances like that there's there's almost sort of a reckoning afterwards and and sometimes that is just emotional distance but in this case it's it's geographical as well it also reminds me a little bit of a, another line in the book uh, over in, in great britain you have lucy wondering you know how long could a single night really be expected to last how far could you stretch such a small collection of minutes yeah. um, it, it sort of made me think a lot of uh statistical probability of love at first sight too yeah if you have again you have these sort of brief out of time encounters and then you you wonder afterwards you know how much that actually counted for because i think i think the interesting thing and and there was a quote i used at the um as an epigraph in statistical probability that those from dickens book and it said oh there are days in this life worth life and worth death and i think that there are certain days that in your memory take on such a bigger, you know, it could, you know, you remember better than certain years. And so I think that's what I'm always playing with is that, you know, you take these, these moments that resonate beyond the, the kind of time that they actually took up in your life. And, and then what happens after that? Do you think that those sort of, um, sort of instant romantic sparks that you, you mentioned a little earlier is something that a lot of folks crave, you know, either as readers or even just as people, um, or, or that maybe that we're trained to crave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think of course there's a certain amount of in the in the culture with books and movies and and things like this that it's obviously a heightened reality and it's it's not exactly what might happen, but it's what you hope would happen. And I think what I try to do is, I mean, this is this is kind of all romantic comedies, right? And I think w- w- 
the way I try to approach it in, in the books is to balance it out with, so it's not just this kind of fluffy romantic comedy that there's, you know, all the, all my characters tend to have family stories going on at the same time that are, are usually a little bit weightier. And so you get that kind of wish fulfillment aspect to it, but it's hopefully balanced out by real three-dimensional characters. And you're taking what-if situations and putting two characters who don't even know they need each other yet and putting them in the exact right place at the exact right moment. And that is the kind of uh, fiction of it. You know, maybe maybe the two exact right people wouldn't have met in an elevator, but then what happens from there is hopefully treated in kind of a very real way about how what would happen? How would this relationship unfold? What would they do next? Um, so I think it's kind of fun to take, you know, a moment that relies a lot on fate and coincidence and timing and chance, but then say what would happen from there and, and go, you know, explore that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's funny. In, a, in an earlier interview with PW, I think you'd mentioned that fate and uh, serendipity, you know, really a big part of your books. And, you know, certainly in the case here, I, I got the sense that uh, even though Lucy had noticed Owen around the building, if it weren't for this blackout, they probably wouldn't have even ever met. Yeah, I, I always I say that my books always start with two characters who each have a hole in their hearts that only the other can fill, and I think it is that recipe of putting them together at the at the right moment. And they often, you know, they don't they don't know that the the other person is the sort of key to helping them get through whatever they're struggling with at the moment. But it's it's really I really like I just it's it's always been a kind of a fascination of mine is is fate and serendipity and chance and all of these things. And I think it's been really fun to explore it in, in several different kinds of ways in these books. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you yourself uh, studied abroad in British Isles. Uh, did that play at all into your decision to send Lucy overseas in this book? Absolutely. I uh, I spent a year living in uh, Scotland, and I actually spent some time living in Ireland earlier, but I, I completely fell in love with, with Scott and Edinburgh in particular. I was living, in, I was studying at St. Andrews, which is about an hour north of it. Um, but I am always looking for an excuse to visit places that I've loved and would like to kind of revisit in my books. And this book obviously gave me a lot of opportunity to do that because they, uh, they get around there in a lot of different places. So it was, you know, Scotland especially was, was a real treat, but it was fun to kind of visit a lot of other places as well. And uh, St. Andrews, I believe, is where you got your MFA. Yeah. Um, was that basically your entry point into life as a writer, or had you already been writing at that point? I'd actually already been writing. I mean, I've you know I've been writing forever, but I at the, when I went to St. Andrews, I'd been working in publishing for a few years. Um, I was an assistant at a literary agency and uh, was loving it. Loved loved New York. Loved publishing. You know, knew this is what I wanted to do, but I wanted to try, I wanted to give myself a, a year to be, you know, to put my writing first. And so I had applied to grad schools. And then as luck would have it, I actually ended up selling my first YA novel, The Comeback Season, right before I went to St. Andrews. So it was nice because I, I was over there and all of a sudden after working full time for a few years, my only job was to write. And so I was able to finish that and start the next one while I was there and just have this wonderful year where I was traveling and writing and reading and making wonderful friends and it's just, it's one of the best years of my life, and, and it's a place that really holds a special place in my heart. So I, you know, hope to keep revisiting that area in, in some of my books. Hmm. Uh, now, you're at the moment still an editor by day as well. I was yes. curious, do you, do you end up 
editing your own work as you go, or do you just try to <laughs> leave that out and focus on the writing, save it for later, save it for your editor? You know, the funny thing about being a, a writer who's also an editor is that when I first started, I remember I would turn in a draft of my novel and my editor would come back with notes and I would think, oh my God, she probably thinks I'm the worst editor ever that I didn't catch this stuff. But it is so different when it's your own work because you just can't see the forest for the trees in the same way. So I try to be very thorough about it when it's my own work, but, but there, are, you know, you can't put a value on having an, an editor come in with fresh eyes. And so I'm really grateful for that. I think I've become a, a better writer for being an editor because I've learned a lot from, from working on other people's book. I think I'm a better editor for being a writer because I am more empathetic in certain ways. And I think I sort of can understand what struggles writers are going through at various points in the process since I've done it so many times myself. Um, so they both really lent themselves to each other in a nice way. Hmm. Um, now, I, we don't often talk a lot about uh, covers on the podcast, but I would love to talk to you about the one for this book, along yeah. with uh, this is what <laughs> happy looks like and statistical probability, you know, between the, the black and white images and the hand-lettered text and the, the pops of color, um, they've really established uh, a strong visual identity for these books. Yeah. What's your reaction been to them? Oh, they're amazing. I feel like it's the one, <laughs> the one thing about my books that I can just completely gush about because I had nothing to do with them. And I'm just, I'm so, I've been so thrilled. It's, you know, I, I really like YA covers that don't show the faces of the characters because I just I, I'm of the camp where I think it's I, I like to to imagine them myself and so I've been so thrilled that they they've kind of the covers are sort of silhouettes of, of the characters and just with the typography the, the cover designer Little Brown has been amazing it's been it's so nice to see them as kind of a matching set in a way and, and have, have them echo each other. And I've had so many compliments and so many readers who have told me they've picked them up just because of these covers and they look great. I, I feel really lucky. Mm-hmm. I was curious, does, does the, having those three books share a look, uh, change the way you think of them at all compared to some of the other books you published? Like they're, they're sort of three of a kind or they're sort of thematically tied together somehow. Yeah, I definitely, I think, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, Recently, I've obviously been focusing a lot on they're they're all thematically similar, like we were saying, fate and serendipity and and themes like that. But yeah, I guess I do it because there's my three most recent books, and because they share similar themes and a similar look. I think I do kind of think of them almost as like a little mini set, which is kind of fun. Which is you know. It's yeah, so it's kind of fun. Hmm. Now you've also written a middle grade novel, uh, The Storm Makers. Uh, do you see yourself doing more of that? Or I'd love to do more middle grade. I, I'd love to try. It's, it was a really fun experiment in a way that came about as that I was having lunch with a friend who asked me if I would ever consider writing fantasy, and I said, you know, the three things I probably won't ever do is I probably won't ever write fantasy, I probably won't ever write for boys, and I probably won't ever write middle grade. And I literally remember walking out of that lunch and being like, now I kind of want to try, and I. It was sort of a challenge, and, and I started it not knowing what would come of it, and it was really fun. It was hard work. I think in some ways my default setting is contemporary YA, so it was it was good to sort of stretch myself, and I'd love to try it again. I'd love to try maybe a contemporary middle grade as well. It's It was a lot of fun. Um, is it right that you'll be uh, going out on the road a little bit for uh, the, this book in the spring? Uh, yeah, we're still we're still working out all the plans, but um, but it's always fun to go meet readers and get to talk about it. What's it been like uh, hearing from fans, you know, in person and otherwise? Oh, it's been amazing. I mean, it's so with all the the sort of love for these books that, and it's it's much fun to hear from readers. It's the best part of the job by far, and it's it's really been fun. 
uh, do you get the sense that teenagers and adults are uh, finding their way to your books? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I get I get emails as many emails from you know people in their 30s and 40s as I do from teens, and and even you know my books are fairly wholesome, so I, I get a lot from fans too, like like 10. So. It's, it's such it's such an amazing thing when you see a book strike a chord with a, a real age range. So, um, so yeah, it's been. I mean, it's it's amazing. Excellent. And uh, what else is next for you? Do you have other ideas you're toying around with? Yeah, I'm actually finishing up my next book now, which is. Um, doesn't have a title yet. I got to think of a good long title <laughs> to match the others. But um, it's another wa- contemporary YA. It's a story of two teens who have been to co- together for a couple of years, and it's the night before they leave for college, and they have sort of been waffling all summer about whether or not to break up or stay together because they're going to schools on opposite ends of the country, and they have twelve hours left to decide. They sort of spend the night going back to all their favorite you know, the places that meant the most to them and, and, you know, the site of their first kiss and their first, you know, everything. So it's another story that's kind of bounded by time with the, with the 12 hour, uh, um, frames. So it's been, so it's, it's, I'm, I'm having a really good time writing it. So hopefully I'll, you know, that'll be finished soon. <laughs> Might be a little late, but it's really fun. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, you know, thank you again for speaking with me, Jennifer, and uh, congratulations on the new book. Thank you. And thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, once again, I've been speaking with Jennifer E. Smith, whose new novel is The Geography of You and Me, published by Little Brown. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast. <laughs>